You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. We went from normal life, healthy child, to acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. She was crying when I told her what the problem was, and I told her he had a horrible injury to his neck and it was affecting his breathing and we needed to operate and he may never walk again. There was a good chance, a better chance that he wouldn't than he would. And, and she, she cried and she said, I, I need to speak to my baby. And then he tells her that he loves her. He doesn't want her to worry because she's going to get better and tell the girls that he loves them. everyone, I'm Dr. Oz, and this is the Dr. Oz Podcast. Uh, when uh, Kevin Everett, who was a tight end for the Buffalo Bills, was uh, cruising down the field uh, to make a, a, a wonderful tackle on Dominic Hickson, and when the two of them collided, these two real strong guys collided, uh, Kevin's head snapped forward and, and he fell to the ground, sort of like a puppet that's been dropped, you know, a marionette that whose strings have been cut from. And we saw at the time uh, a physician run out there together with the, the rest of the medical team. You couldn't really tell with the TV cameras rolling uh, specifically what was going on, but you could tell there was a lot of angst. The players had crowded around uh, Kevin Everett, and they were they, they were off to the side were praying. And uh, we went back and revisited uh, that event. And we revisited it because Kevin Everett, uh, the football player who had been injured, uh, has made a remarkable recovery. And so I've got the honor today of spending a few minutes with Andy Cappuccino, who is the orthopedic surgeon that took care of Kevin, who was someone I got to spend a little time with in Buffalo. Andy, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you. So I was telling Oprah uh, what, what you were like, and I said, well, you know, the, the reality is we sort of bonded on the football field. And she said, how so? I said, well, the Buffalo Bills football stadium, of course, is in the snow path. Uh, so it, it had a couple of inches of snow on it anyway. But in addition, they had played a hockey game on it a few weeks earlier and covered it with ice. So uh, Dr. Cappuccino, who's a very, fairly athletic type, and I went out there with shovels and shoveled a little square in the AstroTurf so we could actually figure out where Kevin had fallen to the turf. 
And I said, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, unwilling to roll up his sleeves. And that's exactly what you did when you're taking care of Kevin. He, he can go through uh, with the audience uh, w- what happened that day and what it was like for you and some of the big decisions you had to make. Sure, it was certainly a very frightening situation to see a professional football player face down on the field and make a diagnosis of a cervical spinal cord, a neck injury that had him paralyzed. He was on the field. He couldn't breathe. And we have a drill with the Buffalo Bills medical staff that we use whenever someone is injured in such a manner. Our drill worked like clockwork. In conjunction with the other medical doctors and the trainers on the team, we were able to rapidly stabilize Kevin's neck on the field, meaning by using manual traction, hold it in line, and secure it while he's still in his uniform on a special spine-related backboard, get him on an ambulance, and within uh, 13 or 14 minutes, have him well on his way to the hospital. In speaking with Kevin himself, who was having difficulty breathing because of his high-level neck injury, we made the decision to institute some fairly controversial therapies as well as standard cares for a neck injury. Among those things, we decided to use high-dose steroids, which uh, steroid methylprednisolone by name is a medicine that helps to shrink inflammation and protect the nerves of the spinal cord. It works for other parts of the body too, but in this instance it was utilized to help protect his spinal cord injury. The other thing we did was we knew that if we could lower his body temperature, he was all heated up, he was all sweaty, he was playing in a football game at the NFL level, there's some body of literature that helps us to uh, believe that if we lower the temperature and kind of cool him down and use his body like a big ice bag to surround the spinal cord, we might limit some of the inflammation and possibly protect some of the spinal cord tissue that may have a better chance of healing and restoring function because when we picked him up off the field, he had no feeling and no movement below his chin. Now, Andy, in the show, we talked a little bit about uh, the personal risk you took for example, that you called your wife to make sure that, uh, you know, if you, if you lost the mortgage on the house and the, and, the kid, and the tuition for the kid's school, she'd still love you. And she very endearingly uh, told you to follow your conscience to do what's right, which is our, our Hippocratic Oath. And I uh, really want, I want to applaud you again for, uh, for keeping that f- uh, f- first and foremost in your mind. But, but I must say, if I, if I sprain my ankle, I, I put ice on it, right? We recommend that to our patients all the time. Why would the idea uh, of putting ice on an injured spine be that controversial? I mean, we do it for the heart. Uh, we do it for the brain sometimes. It's something that is conventionally used in medicine and in practice. Uh, why wouldn't it have already been studied in the spine? Well, I think, that the, I think the real problem is that the concept is not new. It's fairly older, but it was the way that we attacked it. In the past, when studies were done, amendment, we cooled the spinal cord directly. We slid special catheters in, and, of course... It took a long time to get the injured patient to a place where an epidural catheter, a catheter that lays right on the cord, could be utilized. And then there's the thought that, and and the results weren't that good, I think, either from direct thermal injury to the cord or the fact that if you cool the cord selectively directly, you actually cause a vasoconstriction. We cause the blood supply to close down in that area by using too much cool, and that's not really what we want. So if we cool the whole body... We don't get any selective vasoconstriction or stopping of blood supply to the cord because part of the spinal cord injury, Mehmet, is not just direct blunt injury to the cord and not just direct swelling, but it's also ischemia, which means the blood supply gets cut off because of the pinching. So by utilizing the whole body and cooling the whole body, 
it's a trick so the body doesn't know where to turn off or turn on blood supply. It's cool everywhere, so the blood supply selectively remains open. So we're shrinking the inflammation while feeding the cord a good blood supply. And the thought nowadays by using a systemic, not just directly cooling the cord with a, with a special catheter that lays on the spinal cord, but using a special catheter that goes into the main body's circulation and cools the blood internally, is that we can keep the blood supply going, we can lower the inflammation and spare as much spinal cord tissue as possible. Yeah, you know, I, I, was, I was really impressed by that because I, I think that a lot of Americans believe that when you break your neck, quote-unquote, you know, you're actually transecting, you're, you're cutting the cord in half. Before I became a physician, that's what, that's what I thought. Cause I, you I, know, Mehmet, you used a beautiful analogy, that is, of a celery stalk with the strings remaining intact. Yeah, um, I, and that's really, I mean, describe that. Well, I think I stole that idea from Andy, actually, but or at least it was his, his imagery that I transferred into a celery stock because we couldn't find a better alternative. We actually went out to get glow sticks, Andy, which is your original uh, concept, and we couldn't find glow sticks that broke the way they're supposed to break. So uh, we use a celery stock uh, because I think if you take a celery stock and you twist it so that it fractures, you'll notice that you, you, you do get a disconnection of, of the stock a little bit, but there are little strains that hold the top and the bottom of the stock together, and metaphorically, when you injure the spinal column, that's what we're dealing with, right? You've got a couple cells that are alive. You don't know how many yet, but there are probably a couple um, that if you can just keep them alive, just recruit a few extra cells to work, then you go from a guy who can't breathe to someone who can breathe because now the level of paralysis is beneath the, the phrenic nerves, which, which uh, power our diaphragms. Or it's maybe a little bit lower, so you're actually able to move your legs a little bit more than you could have. And that's what was so stunning about, about Kevin when he, you know, he walks... And he's an imposing figure. He's a pro football player, and he walks out onto the stage. And you know, he's he's, he's got some issues that are he's dealing with still, but they're trivial compared to what you would have expected. And what were the in the press conference that you gave after the um, after the, the surgery? What, what was the number you quoted for the the press? Well, about ten percent chance that he would ever walk again. And statistically, in the spinal cord injury group, that and like doctors, we try to, to classify everything. We have a, a, a classification system, and the classification of his spinal column injury, which was the, the second worst, as worse as it can be, the only thing that would be worse, as you mentioned earlier, would be a spinal cord transection, and there would have been nothing we could do for him at that point or at this point in time. With his spinal cord injury, there was only about a, a 10, at the most, 15% chance that he was going to be a walker again. Yeah, and he walked out there as, you know, bu- bubbly and uh, making his mother and his girlfriend proud. It was pretty impressive. Now, just to walk through the time course a little bit. So, you know, an hour, uh, actually, you know, I think it was about 13 minutes into the uh, injury. There was an ambulance there. 20 minutes after that, getting into the ambulance, you were at the hospital. So in 35 minutes or so after the injury, he's already at a, at a pretty good medical center. You also made the big decision, I should tell the audience, of going to a different hospital than perhaps the one that you would have gone to that was closest because they had technology that you needed in particular an MRI scanner that you knew was manned all the time. And I, I bring this up to the audience because these are not subtle insights. These are hugely important because once you get to the hospital and find out the tech's not there for two more hours, you're really in trouble. And, and, and not only that, but the, I mean, the, the important point here, I mean, one of the important points is, this is these are very difficult decisions for a doctor. I mean, he actually probably thought, well, this is the best thing for the patient, and the risk is I'm going to lose my mortgage and I'm going to be penniless. That's a, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a real fear for a lot of physicians. And he did what was right. I mean, what what he did is is the model, and I think one of the reasons you probably bonded with him so much is he did the model of what every physician should do, 
But in today's litiginous climate, it's a little risky. Got a lot more questions to go, but first, let's take a quick break. You dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Before I get to the other uh, big issue I want to bring up is the surgery. Uh, We're not used to having folks criticize us for doing our best. Uh, and I, I don't know, frankly, think that there's a lot of big criticism of you that I think is defensible, but uh, there were people who came out and said you could have done things differently, which is true in any kind of a, a, a politicized environment. How did you deal with that? Sure. Well, first of all, you know, it, it, it makes you uncomfortable when you think you've done your best and you're seeing a good job or a good result evolving, yet still your colleagues are criticizing you. You take it personally. Um, but I, at the end of the day, for me personally, when I lay my head on the pillow and I think about my personal conversations with Kevin Everett, and I say, Kevin, are you happy with the job that, that I've done for you? And Kevin continually, obviously from the great work that, that he was doing on his own, told me that he was happy. I felt good. You know, I mean, there was a lot of banter in the literature. The New York Times article basically slaughtered me. Um, some of the popular press slaughtered me. But it wasn't my position at the time to answer back. I was protecting my patient's chart because, you know, there are laws that help us to protect them. So I, I kind of kept it quiet. I internalized a lot of that. But, you know, my wife, again, she's a good guiding force. And every night when I put my head on the pillow, my conscience was clear that I did the best job I could do. And as physicians, that's all that people can ask of us is stay current in your field, try to make good decisions, make decisions that are based in the best interest of your patient, and you're never going to go wrong. Do we get things right 100% of the time? Any doctor that tells you that he has no complications or he's right 100% of the time is not an honest physician. And the only thing that can make us dangerous in our field is if we're not honest with ourselves and with our patients. So I feel pretty good about the job that I've done. Absolutely. You know, surgery is controlled arrogance. And I don't say it in a disdainful way. When we go into the operating room, uh, we've got to be able to make very difficult decisions and not look back all the time. And it takes a certain uh, amount of... Uh, confidence, it's even more than confidence, 
to be able to do that. And sometimes it doesn't help you in real life situations. Uh, so I think you took a, a very healthy perspective on this. Uh, in, in the last few minutes, let me, let me go to the, the other point you brought up when I was visiting in Buffalo. I actually was not aware of this, but you pointed out that when someone has a fracture of the vertebral the spine and the or the vertebral body, and in Kevin's case, he shoved uh, the third vertebra onto the onto the fourth one. So you used a shingle analogy, and uh, sort of taught me that uh, these th- as when these things slip, and I think they're called uh, perched facets. Is that the right term? It, one was a was a dislocated and locked facet on the left side, and the other was a perched facet on the right side. And so when when that happens, then uh, you've got uh, a dilemma because you've got to re, you know reconnect that, but you've got fractured bones which aren't going to protect the spine cord anymore. So you pointed out that before you put the patient to sleep and they lose muscle tone, which is what holds uh, this, this spinal cord intact. It doesn't allow the, the muscles to relax, which would then allow everything to collapse in the bones and crush the cord worse. You actually fixed the spine uh, while he was awake. How do you do that? We do that by actually using a special halo system. You've seen pictures of guys with something drilled into their skull, bolted into their head like a halo. And we use this method while he's awake with a local anesthesia because he can still feel his head we drill some bolts into the head and under x-ray control with a little bit of muscle relaxation we gently longitudinally we stretch his neck back into position it's called a closed reduction there's no opening of the skin we realign the bones of the spine and sometimes it takes weight up to 40 or 50 pounds to pull the neck out to length, to overcome the muscle spasm that's there and realign the neck. And we did that while he was awake. And the reason that you do that while he's awake is because you don't want to over-distract it and either tear the remaining spinal cord tissue or essentially tear the head right off the shoulders. Right. So it's a careful right. process. <laughs> That'd be very anticlimactic to the care of the patient. Uh, finally, there's a the big emotional element. Uh, you obviously are going into the operating room, you've got to speak to the family. Uh, Tell us about that conversation. Yes, that was in what we call the pre-op holding area, which you know, but that's a small waiting area where the the patient, the player, will meet the anesthesiologist, the OR circulating nurses, all the preparations for the operating room are made. And in that area, since things moved quickly for Kevin Everett, we needed to get a formal written consent. It's the hospital's uh, will not allow you to bring a patient to the operating room until there's a consent written and signed. And in that light, because of the nature of Kevin's injury, um, I asked him who his next of kin was, and he said, I need to speak to my mom. And we, with my cell phone, we called his mother down in Texas, who was actually just returning home from a sports bar. She'd had a big family meeting, gathering of friends, because um, it was the first game of the season, and this was a breakout year for Kevin. He had a great camp. He was supposed to have the the year the year of his career, and uh, they were all gathered, and they saw him go down on the field. and I, I called his mom, and by this point, Kevin was resolute. We had discussed what needed to be done, what the chances were, what therapies we were using, and what their controversies were. And Kevin and I had a very frank conversation. That I told him that, on my part, I would do everything in my power, regardless of of you know, what my colleagues would say to help make him better. And his job was to work as hard as he could and be strong to get better. And he promised me if I did my job, he'd do his, And but he needed to speak to his mom. And it was a very strange conversation because he was con- overly concerned about her. And, and the first thing he said on the phone 
wasn't, Mom, I'm hurt, or Mom, I'm frightened. He said, Mom, I don't want you to be scared. I want you to take care of the girls. He's got three younger sisters. It was a very, for me, an almost overpowering conversation because she was crying when I told her I first engaged her on the phone. And, and I told her what the problem was, and I told her he had a horrible injury to his neck and it was affecting his breathing, and we needed to operate, and he may never walk again. There was a good chance, a better chance that he wouldn't than he would. And, and she, she cried, and she said, I, I need to speak to my baby. And then he tells her that he loves her. He doesn't want her to worry because he's going to get better, and he tells the girls that he loves them. And it was a very interesting conversation because of the kind of, resolve that he had at the time. And then we went on to do all the formalities, having a nurse listen to the conversation and signing the consent. But it was an interesting, powerful conversation that we had on that cell phone. And it captured, you know, I want to salute you and uh, uh, again, applaud you for all the wonderful work you did with Kevin Everett, but also the way uh, you, you made the profession proud. I think you, you've got uh, all, all your... Your, your, your key ethical issues lined up perfectly, which is, uh, I suspect, one of the reasons that um, you're so popular with your family. And he brought all of his, uh, well, not all of them, you brought, what, five of the kids to the show? I brought, uh, actually, four of our five were there. One was is in Europe studying in Florence for the year, and one had uh, exams at Ohio State and couldn't get away. Well, I enjoyed meeting them, and I enjoyed uh, seeing their love for you. It's well-deserved. There's lots more when we come back. you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more more info now. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty, beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Uh, we got uh, another miracle. It's a different kind of miracle to talk about. Uh, and I've asked uh, Dr. Robert Johnson to join us today. Uh, Dr. Johnson is a, is a hematologist, uh, oncologist, and uh, he has to deal with the reality uh, that I face uh, all the time as well. And, and that is uh, the, uh, the remarkable ability we have now in modern medicine to perform life-saving transplantation, but the inability for us to find donors, which therefore causes us to fail in our quest. And, and we did a little bit uh, of, on transplantation uh, by featuring Jason Ray. And Jason had been the, the mascot for the North Carolina basketball team 
He was killed in a terrible car accident when the team was on the road. And his family, uh, who were understandably reluctant to donate the organs in this time of tragedy, uh, had been told by their son that he wanted all of his organs donated, everything. And so they abided by his wishes because they did not want to disappoint him uh, even after his death. And so Jason Ray's organs were used uh, to change the lives of 70 other human beings and several of the lives that he saved by donating his heart and his kidneys and his pancreas and his liver uh, were featured on an ESPN show. Uh, Lisa Salter was the reporter on that uh, on that uh, pr- program that has been very popular um, because it does such a wonderful job of chronicling this young man's passion for life and how he passed life on um, in his death. And uh, we had them on the show uh, with Kevin Everett, again, just to talk about medical miracles. And I thought we'd have Dr. Johnson uh, speak for a little time with us talking about uh, another individual who's actually today still looking for uh, a donor, still looking for help. Dr. Johnson, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's a pleasure and a privilege to speak with you today, Mehmet. Bob, tell me a little bit about uh, Nicole Nelson. What, what's her problem? Uh, what, what, how has the field advanced? And what's the need you have from our audience? Because I'm hoping that some of the listeners today will uh, will resonate to the story and might be able to help you out. Well, I appreciate that. I just want to add one thing before we get started, and that is my specialty is internal medicine uh, rather than hematology. And internal medicine deals with all the medical illnesses, so um, we don't come across the plastic anemia as much as a hematologist. But uh, Nicole Nelson is a physician assistant that works with me in our hospital in Concord, New Hampshire. And she became ill... Um, last fall and was diagnosed by her physician following a bone marrow biopsy with the diagnosis of aplastic anemia. Now, this illness uh, consists of a failure of the bone marrow to produce three main cell types that keep us alive, and one is red cells uh, that carry oxygen to all of our organs, and secondly is uh, white cells that uh, help us to fight infection, and thirdly, platelets which help us to clot our blood. Her bone marrow is failing to produce all of those cellular elements, and that is a fatal illness. Now, Nicole is 35 years old. She's a new mother. She has a uh, 14-month-old daughter, a new house, happily married five years. And to have this diagnosis, I mean, clearly her whole life is just pulled right out from underneath her. And your listeners can just imagine themselves in that situation if that happened to them or well, well, now tell me tell me what the problem is, if you will, from why don't we have more donors, and what's the problem for her in getting a typing? Her hematologist has run her tissue types uh, to look for a match for her to have a bone marrow transplant to save her life, and they have not been able to find a match. And the main reason is because of her ethnic background. She's part Native American Indian. Unfortunately, nationally, there's a, there's a serious deficiency of that group and all minorities on the national donor registry. So that anyone who has that ethnic background, if they go to try and find a match, they're at a great disadvantage because there aren't enough people with a similar background to be um, available as a donor. So right now I think there's about or almost 7 million donors available on the National Registry, and she didn't match anyone. But, Bob, now 
how do we get more people registered? Seven million is is this is Mike Royzen, by the way. Seven million is just under three percent of the total in the in the country. It seems to me there there really isn't any hazard, is there, with bone marrow transplantation for the donor? Not at all. Not at all. And, and so why why can't we get two hundred million people in this pool? That's what we need. And and we need the minorities to come forward too. And and the problem is First of all, there's no, not really awareness of the problem by the country. This is not something that we all think about. We think in terms of blood donations and things like that, but none of us really think in terms of, well, I could be screened for a marrow donation. And it's so easy because all you really need is a swab of your cheek to be tested. You don't have to have blood drawn. It's just a simple swab of your cheek. Now, and is there any, is there any, I know there's no hazard, if you will, but there's no pain. It's pretty right. easy to do. Um, is there any limitation? Are there diseases that preclude you from, from giving marrow? Well, there are a list of illnesses that would preclude you. You need to be between the ages of 18 and 60, uh, as far as age is concerned. You, you can't have a diagnosis of cancer or diabetes or certain blood disorders or bleeding disorders. And you know, your listeners could obtain a lot of information on, one, how to become a marrow donor by going to a website that the National Registry has, that's marrow, M-A-R-R-O-W, dot org, and signing on to that website, and it explains everything. You can click on join, enter your, uh, your zip code and a distance, and determine where the nearest bone marrow drive is, in your area. Can you can you give that that uh, website again? It's marrowdonation.com or .org. Actually, it's just marrow.org and it's spelled m a r r o w . o r g. So it's marrow m a r r o w . o r g and that is the website for the National Registry and they have uh, a lot of information there for everyone as far as how to become a donor information about becoming a donor, uh, registering. And if, if people um, don't feel that they're able to become a donor because of age or, or illnesses, there's other opportunities to help the foundation by donations, volunteering, or even organizing drives themselves. Now, uh, now I sign something on my driver's license that lets my organs be taken but that's different than this. So this is a separate um, registry. Is that correct? It is separate, Amendment. Uh, I have the same thing on my license, but until this really came about, I, I've given blood in the past, but I had never been uh, screened as a volunteer marrow donor until now. Um, so I've now gone through the process, and, it, and it's so easy to do. And the important thing is that when you do this, you volunteer to help anyone out there who needs that bone marrow to save their life. And there may be only one person out there that can do it, and that may be Nicole's case. So that, for example, if, if someone out there needs my tissue type and bone marrow, I'm here for them, and, I, and I'll donate it. And everyone on that registry feels exactly the same way. Bob, if you look at, uh, at the percentage of success from using this registry... Uh, it's somewhere between 60 and 75% from what I can tell. So uh, most people who need a bone marrow transplant will find a match. 
I am uh, intrigued, and Dr. Rosen brought this up as well, uh, that we have so few people registered since it's so easy to do. In theory, uh, we should probably be up at the high 90s. Do you, do you know in other countries if these programs have been able to get levels of success that high? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, <coughs> I think the number of donors uh, that are registered are much higher in the United States. But the problem with our registry is it's so underrepresented by minorities. And uh, that's, that's the main problem. We need to have them turn out to be screened so that uh, we can help everyone um, of their same ethnic background because your tissue type is inherited. And, I mean, you're most likely to find a match of somebody with the same race or ethnicity. So unless you have enough donors out there who have been screened, your chances of finding somebody with a particular uh, background, like her Native American background, is slim unless you can get more people with that background to be tested. Let me ask you, with other solid organs, we don't have to be quite such uh, perfectionists in our matches, right? For the heart, I just match... The major blood type is A, A, U, B, A, U, you know, A, B, O, and I'm done. I, I don't have to go into more detail. Why is it so important for bone marrow recipients to have a perfect match from a donor? The problem is one of rejection uh, unless there is a, a excellent match. And uh, <clears throat> if, if there's any difference from your own tissue type, the chances of rejection are much higher. Now, you have the, the patient who's being treated has to go through a process of chemotherapy and medications to knock out their immune system so they don't reject the transplant. But that's why it has to be so specific, because uh, unless it is almost identical, you, you will reject it. All right, so let me go through some myths here, if you could, because I think it'll be helpful for the audience. And by the way, on Oprah.com, uh, we have a map of the country, and you can click on your state. And uh, you can get a organ donation form. It's, it's not just for bone marrow, but it allows you to, to have a document that you can give to your loved ones. Uh, because uh, sometimes, even in, in death, uh, you, you obviously can save major organs, but the bone marrow itself can be used often uh, as well. And, and, uh, and, and it's you know, hugely beneficial for, uh, for folks who are in crisis. So myth number one. I mean, bone marrow donation is painful, right? You got you got to you know take a piece of the hip bone to do it. Is that what it's about? No, no, that's 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 true. And and they don't take a piece of bone, and it's not painful. They give you a, an anesthetic so that you don't feel anything. So that is a myth. There is no pain involved. All right, myth number two: uh, all marrow donations involve surgery. I mean, it's a significant procedure and it's a lengthy healing process. Um, it's a surgical procedure, but uh, it, it is one that's done under an anesthetic, so there's no pain. It's not a major operation, so it, it's simple to do. It's simple to donate. And, and what's the recovery process like? The recovery process is, is very quick, I and mean, there may be some fatigue, some mild discomfort, um, but those symptoms usually pass within a few days. All right, and the third big myth that I always hear uh, is that the, the donation of your marrow will weaken you that uh, you know, it's difficult for you to regenerate what you've donated uh, to someone who's suffering and needs a bone marrow transplant. And that's not the case, Mehmet, because, you know, really you replace everything they take out within four to six weeks so that uh, you're usually back to your usual routine in a few days, so that's not a problem. So let's go back to Nicole for one second, if I, if I could, Bob. So, uh, you know, you're charged with taking care of her. Obviously, you've had uh, the honor of working with her um, since she was a physician assistant uh, in, in your hospital. How long can she wait before she gets an appropriate donor? Uh, what's, what's her time horizon? Well, the, the problem is that 
with her illness, she's being kept alive by blood transfusions and platelet transfusions. The more transfusions, the more times you receive those things, the, the higher your likelihood is of rejecting a transplant in the future. So they, they try to minimize those things. So it, it really gives her a limited amount of time, and she's really up against it right now. I mean, she's, she's running out of time, and that's really the, the urgency of, of her story. That's why uh, we're hoping that people understand that it is so easy to be screened with just a swab of the cheek and that when they hear her story and her plea that they're going to want to help and they're going to want to check on the marrow.org and find out how they can become a bone marrow donor. And I just want to emphasize that for minorities, the screening for bone marrow transplantation is absolutely free. Dr. Robert Johnson, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. You're uh, an internist uh, at New Hampshire. Uh, you actually graduated of Jefferson Medical College, where my father taught for many years. Yes. And uh, it's, it's been a great honor to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing Nicole Nelson's story with us. Um, and please wish uh, this wonderful physician's assistant the best of luck. And I'm hoping folks out there will hear her her, uh, her story and respond with the same passion uh, that, uh, that Dr. Royce and I felt when we, when we first heard about her. I wish you the best. Thank you very much, sir. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.